Welcome to the Healing Trauma Podcast. I'm so glad you're here. I'm Monique Coven. I'm the host. I'm a certified trauma recovery coach. I've worked for over 25 years as a social worker, and I'm a survivor. The Trauma Healing Podcast is for those who are healing trauma and finding ways to navigate through this messy, uncomfortable, and challenging recovery process. The intent of the podcast is to provide helpful information to validate, inspire you, support you on your healing recovery journey. You're going to hear stories from other survivors, trauma experts, and trauma therapists in the field that will provide information on effective trauma healing modalities, tools, techniques, skills, all in hopes of helping you heal. If you'd like to find out more information on trauma recovery healing, please go to my website at www.cptsdcoach.com. I also have an Instagram and Facebook page at cptsdcoach. Welcome back, everyone. So for today's episode, I am going to issue a trigger warning because our conversation is going to be around the topic of childhood sexual abuse as well as ritual abuse. So if you feel like this information might be too triggering or difficult, um, you don't have to listen to it. So today's guest is Lisa Meister, and she's a mom, she's a teacher, she's a grandmother, and she's also a survivor. And she's going to be sharing a little bit about her story and how her trauma has impacted her and in what ways it showed up and how she is healing. Hi, Lisa. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Monique. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so glad that you're here. So we're going to talk a little bit about your story and, um, you know, we're not going to go over like, you know, some of the the details or the the gory details. Um, but I think that um, your history and your story, uh, childhood sexual abuse, but what's not as uh, commonly talked about is also what you experienced, which is ritual abuse um, in the context of your very own family. So um, maybe you could uh, talk a little bit about your family and sort of how, um, first of all, let me start by saying you didn't really remember all of the details of your childhood, the sexual abuse, the ritual abuse, until something happened that triggered all the memories that started um, coming forth. Is that right? Yes, that's correct. I was yes. uh, 29 years old and um, my oldest daughter was five. So I believe it came up in my body's way of protecting her. Yeah. Yeah. And that is so not uncommon. I, I mean, I know many people who have had memories come back, um, twenties, thirties, and forties. So it is in a way the body protecting you from, 
not being ready to maybe uh, deal with them. And you said it was maybe to protect you from protect your daughter or protect you maybe from mothering um, so that you could do it in a safe way. Do you think that's what it was? Probably, but also to keep her from being abused by my father. Okay. Okay. So maybe we could start right there with, with how that first memory, like what happened? Uh, we had had my parents over for dinner. I'm married. Uh, my husband and I are hitting 30 years this year. So we've been together for the long haul. And I was 29 at the time. It was 1999. And we just had my parents over for dinner. They lived a couple hours away, so it wasn't something that happened real often. And nothing specifically horrible happened. But there was an incident. My dad had built a tent. My five-year-old was allowed in. My three-year-old son wasn't. Nothing happened in the tent because it was an open tent. You could see in there the entire time. So it's not like he did anything inappropriate with her. But he was cruel to my three-year-old son. So it's innocuous. And then at dinner, my husband had told my daughter, we were having carrot cake, not just to eat the icing. You have to eat the cake with it. And my father grabbed a spoon with a huge heaping of the icing off of his cake, put it in my daughter's mouth while he glared at my husband. And that's all that happened. I mean, it's not like sexual in any way, shape or form. But when he left, I was very upset. So I got my kids to bed and I take my upsetness out on my linoleum. I I get a very clean floor that way. (laughs) So um, my husband just was like, what's going on? I was very upset. It's like he's buddying up to her. He's buddying up to her. You can't let him do it. And he's like, okay, what would he do? And I didn't know. It just wasn't there. It's like, there's something really bad. We need to protect her. But I had no idea what it was. And so that was the incident that started breaking down the repression. And then about two weeks later, I had my first flashback. So like my whole growing up until I was 29, I always knew that there was something that was really bad wrong with me. Although I looked like a perfect child, never got in trouble. I excelled at everything I did. You know, nobody would have questioned anything about my life. But I always knew that there's something really badly wrong with me. But it wasn't until 29 that it all came back. So when you say I felt like something was really wrong with me, um, like in terms of your responses, in terms of how you were with other people, like what do you mean? I felt severely broken. So Mm -hmm. like emotionally, there's something badly wrong. But I I could never, it was like periodically this ball of emotion would just, it was like it was bursting out of my chest. Mm -hmm. And I would push it back down by staying as busy as I could, as occupied as I could. Like even in college, my husband and I started dating. There was no room from anywhere into my life. So he's like, Lisa, you know, you've got too many irons in the fire. You need to pull back. And I didn't know how to do that, you know, so it was like that began the process of taking things out. But doing that opened up this ball inside of me. So it's like something badly wrong is going to burst out of me. And so I I push it and I just kept tampering it, tamping it back down Mm -hmm. until 
I was 29. And then because I needed to protect my kids, I just couldn't do it anymore, even though I didn't know what it was. Does that make sense? No, it does. So, I mean, I think even just like on a relatable, on a, in a small way, we can think about how a lot of us just try to keep busy. Like we don't relax, we don't sit down, so we don't have to feel. But in, in your case, it was, it was like really big and you were, it sounds like you were very busy, involved in lots of stuff um, so that you were in a way not wanting to feel or remember. So um, would, did you think that your child, like, did you consider your childhood like, normal um before 29 like did you what what were your thoughts about your family life did you have any memories at all yeah there's things that I remembered um my way of looking at it was like a fairy tale my family was perfect I felt sorry for everybody who wasn't a part of my family like insanely so almost like so when I got to college I met a friend and she and I started talking about family systems. We'd get together for four hour lunches. Mm. She would talk about her family and she had a physically abusive alcoholic father. So talking about our family systems, it didn't make sense to me because my family system was exactly the same as hers. It's like, wait a minute, mine was perfect. Why is it the same as hers? And that started four very long years of conversations with her and starting to look at, you know, it was really awful growing up. So if you look at the non-sexual abuse parts of my story growing up, it was awful. But I had romanticized it because that was my coping mechanism. Wow. So it was perfect in your mind, but you're saying, well, you tried to like say that it was perfect, but you said it was awful. So in what ways was it awful? My father was a, he was a tyrant in the home. Dinner had to be on the table at exactly 10 minutes after he walked in the door after work, uh, constantly in trouble. And I was seriously about as perfect of a child as you can get. I tried to do everything to the letter of what I was supposed to do. Mm -hmm. All a student. I excelled at sports, music, I mean, I was involved in everything. Like I got in trouble because once I put the salt and pepper shakers away without washing them first after cleaning the tape, I didn't know you were supposed to do that. I got in big trouble for it. Stuff like that. Mm -hmm. It's like innocuous things. Or I worked for my dad. He had a pharmacy and I started working for him in fifth grade. And he like by sixth grade, I was the pharmacy tech. So it was a small pharmacy, a small town. Saturday, I was the pharmacy tech, which there's no way I should have been doing that job. And he, oh my goodness, he would yell at me in front of customers, just berate me for being stupid, for being lazy. I mean, right in front of people. And that was normal for me growing up. So there was a lot of like, when I was in college, he, a couple guys came home because my brother and I were both in school. So mutual friends came to stay for a weekend. And he told the two guys that were friends of ours that Lisa is shaped like a pear. She's big on the bottom and small on the top. Those sorts of things that were humiliating mm-hmm. to me mm-hmm. were a normal part of life with him. Okay. Wow. Um, okay. And it, it's so interesting. Um, so you, you thought you had a good childhood, but it, 
but you started to realize it was really awful um, as you were listening to your friend's story and then just starting to piece together. Um, so you had that, that first memory. Um, so was that first memory of the sexual abuse? Yes. So I had nine months of sexual abuse flashbacks and they were flashbacks like it's happening right now. You know, I mean, just completely overshadowing reality. It's like you're right back there kind of flashback. So they were very difficult, very hard. And then it was nine months in that the ritual abuse memories came, just really floored me. Because like going through sexual abuse, you would think starting to deal with it, starting to say, okay, yes, this happened, accept it as true. You would think you would get better, but over nine months, I was getting fastly worse. You know, I had four kids at that. I think I had three at the point that point, and I couldn't take care of them. I couldn't cook. I couldn't clean. I couldn't think. I was like crying on the couch hours every day. I mean, I just literally could not function. And then the ritual abuse stuff started coming out. Oh, my goodness. When you started to have memories of the childhood sexual abuse, did you start seeing a therapist at all? Did you reach for help? Yes. And actually, by that, it was January when this all started. So by the summer, I felt like I was going crazy. So <laughs> I told my husband, I feel like I'm going crazy and I'm not fighting it anymore. And that scared me. So we found a two-week outpatient clinic, and I went there. And they, the, the most important thing I learned there was that crazy people don't know they're going crazy. <laughs> Which mm -hmm. was like, it, that was mm -hmm. my anchor at that point. It's like, okay, I can hold on to that. And that really helped me get through that, that rough time. And... Um... What about the ritual abuse? When you started to have those memories, um, were you seeing a therapist at that time? Uh, I was in and out of therapy. So at that point, I had a therapist and we were working through emotions. Like I was completely shut down. And the summer mm -hmm. before the repression broke, I realized that I was living like the dream. We had built a dream house. And we had built it. We were living in it. Not many people get that at 29. Mm -hmm. I have three kids. I got to homeschool them. I'm a teacher. So being able to homeschool was a dream of mine. Mm -hmm. I love that. I love being a mom. I love being a wife. I had a wonderful husband. And I realized that I couldn't feel anything at all. Mm -hmm. I had no feelings. And that shocked me. So when I got into therapy, you know, we we worked on sexual abuse, but mostly we worked on, oh, wait a minute, everybody stop. I'm having a feeling. And we <laughs> would pull out these pages. Can you identify it? And we're like, I don't know. What's the difference between happiness and joy? What's the difference between? I mean, it was just this big intellectual academic pursuit of, oh, no, what am I feeling? Oh, I think I'm feeling, you know, mildly, mildly disturbed about something, you know. So we were just going through that. And then uh, the flashbacks of ritual abuse started, which I had no reference for. I'm not a horror movie watcher. I don't, I shy away from anything terrifying. Mm -hmm. You know, I like chick flicks with 
you know, a wedding at the end. Yeah. (laughs) So I, I, I really had no concept of what I was seeing or why I was seeing it. So it was quite a journey to try to, I I didn't know what it was. Sexual abuse. Yeah. You know what sexual abuse is because you've heard about it. Mm-hmm. Ritual abuse, you don't hear about, although we're starting to now. So you doing yeah. this on your podcast makes me like a Monique Coven fan for the rest of my life. Oh, it's like a well, big deal. Well, it's because I also know the reality of it. I have met many survivors of ritual abuse. It exists, but there's just not, there's not much information out there. People think that it just doesn't exist or, you know, that, that it's too horrific to believe that this could possibly exist. But I know very intellectual um, people who have experienced it and it exists. And it, you know, so really, I think that, you know, it's so important to um, get, get this information out there. And also if other, you know, if there's anybody listening that has experienced it so that they could know that they're, they're not alone. Um, And also to find appropriate help because not everybody um, may know how to work with someone with um, this kind of abuse, but, um, but there are people that work with that. So, yeah. So, um, when we started, uh, when you started having now the memories of the ritual abuse, and now you've come to the realization that, oh my gosh, this is my, this is my family. This is my, this is my father. This happened to me. Uh, this, did it start to like, did your life start to make sense? Yeah. I've, I, my whole life never made sense. It's, you know, in, in trying to talk to somebody about my life, I could never really quantify it very well. Mm-hmm. It's just bits and pieces, and this doesn't make sense, and that doesn't make sense. But when the information comes, like, you know it. it your subconscious is, is hiding it, but you know it at some level, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So repression just means that it's coming from you know, the back brain stem area, it's coming to your frontal lobes. So you can be cognizant of it. You can start dealing with it. It only ekes out bits, you know, flashback by flashback, bit by bit. But yeah, it's like now things make sense to me. Right, right. Um, so I, I want to um, jump just a little bit to um, sometimes this does happen with um, survivors of this type of abuse because the abuse is so extreme, so horrific that um, they may develop DID, disassociative um, identity disorder. Um, is this something that you found you, you had? Oh, Yes. I think uh, every survivor has it. I know a couple survivors that just always knew that that was going on, but it's very rare. So it, dissociative disorder is, is a beautiful tool that our minds have of a, a young child dealing with things that are beyond their scope of handling. Because in ritual abuse, it happens during the night, and then you got to get up the next morning, and you got to go to 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 work, you got to go to school, you go wherever you go, and you live your life, and you cannot show what's happening, right? So you got to act like everything's perfectly fine. So the dissociative disorder helps you to deal with what's happening to you, 
and then to kind of encapsulate it in places in your mind so that you don't have to deal with it during the day. And you have to because you'd fall apart. I mean, if you look at someone who's been sexually abused as an adult, they fall apart. They need help. You know, I've got friends that, you know, tried to commit suicide. They, you know, tried to stay quiet, but they just completely fell apart somewhere because of sexual abuse, even as an adult. You put that on a child, they can't go to anybody because this is their family. So there's, there's no, there's no avenue of help for them. So they have to go to dissociative disorders. And I hate putting disorder on there. I, you know what, when I said disorder, I, I cringed and I heard myself saying, don't say, because I mean, that's how I feel about all the disorders, anxiety disorder, disorder. They're all normal responses. There's no disorder there. So yes. I mean, we've done, we're getting better. We used to call it multiple personality disorder and that was completely wrong. You know, so it's like as as we're catching up to what it is and what it means and how it works, we're changing the vernacular. And that's another part that will need to be changed again. But I'm very grateful that I had it. You know, I'm not always grateful as an adult trying to deal with it. But, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm really glad that I had it as a child. Yes, yes. So um, you explained it really well. And I think that that is, um, you know, for people uh, who may not have um, DID, but may just have just disassociation, and we all have parts and you explained it so well, how we, we have to get on Dr. Janina Fisher talks about getting on with normal life self, having to go to school, having to, you know, make friends, all these things, there's no space for the horror for the trauma. So it gets pushed aside and we just kind of go on, but it's still there. Right. And that, yeah. And that's kind of, yeah, what we're talking about. And so, so, um, have you, um, I mean, this is now you were 29. So how has your, how has your healing, how has it How has it, well, let me start by saying, how has it impacted your life? Not the healing part yet, but, but, um, you know, the trauma, let's talk about that. How has that impacted yourself as a parent, as a wife, as a, you know, as, as, as someone in, in life, how has that impacted you? Right. Well, I'm 51 now, so it's been, you know, a long time and the trauma is always there even if it's repressed, even if it's something you refuse to think about, even if it's something that you refuse to deal with, it's, it's always there. Um, you, you talk a lot about vessels where the body keeps the score. You know, I always had extreme physical problems that doctors never could figure out. Like I even had a stroke, but it affected the wrong, I, like the blood clot is on the wrong side of the brain than it should have been. It's like the right side got paralyzed should have been the left I mean it's like your body is just very strange and so Mm -hmm. ritual abuse survivors have all sorts of really weird physical problems a lot of pain like I go to bed at night I feel like uh, my very expensive bed that we get as comfortable as we can feels like it's a block of cement you know Mm. my body hitting it so like it's been that way through the years so excruciating migraines I mean just a whole slew of physical problems. Parenting is difficult. Uh, like thinking clearly can be very hard for abuse survivors. And um, 
So like when your kids start getting to age where they want to question everything and, and your, your mind just cannot keep up with what they need and why they need it and, you know, what your boundaries are and why they're your boundaries. So, you know, your kids have a little problem with pushing back and forth and you just kind of get lost in the shuffle someplace. Or like uh, my husband always said, he could tell how I was doing emotionally by our kitchen counter. Because the worse I was doing, the more mounded with rubble it had. And, mm-hmm. and to, to this day, if I'm having like a PTSD meltdown, which I still have, like my kids will go through and clean my counters because they know that helps me think better. Mm. So, you know, it, it's always there. Or, you know, you've talked about attachment issues, you know, feeling like I can connect at all times. I can't, you know, with my friendships. Mm-hmm. There's times that I just go silent for long periods of time because Mm -hmm. like the emotional space in my head just isn't always there to be able to connect. When people think, you know, I'm upset with them when I'm not, I just don't have the energy to Mm -hmm. go back and forth. Yeah. 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 And I hope you have accepted that and been okay with that because that's perfectly okay and perfectly all right. Well, yeah, still figuring that out, trying to explain yeah. it to other people, you know, but I, yeah. some of that I'm still just figuring out now. So healing mm-hmm. from severe trauma, I think it's like a lifelong commitment. You can heal, but you have to work hard and you have to keep working at it and not give up. And I do it because I want that for my kids and my husband. Mm-hmm. And now my, I have grandkids now. So like, mm-hmm. you know, I want to heal for them. Yes. I mean, I wish I could say yeah. I want to do it for me, but I don't. I, mean, I think I'm too lazy. I wouldn't do it for me. You know, <laughs> I would do it for them. So you got to have a reason to heal. Yeah. Is there a part of you, just even a little tiny part, that would like to do it for, for little Lisa? Uh, no. Okay. Not that I dislike myself. I don't. It's just with ritual abuse, it's 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 too much. It's it's just too overwhelming. It, it's it, it's just it's like it's physical it's emotional it's uh spiritual there's just a lot of mm-hmm. areas that it all hits at once mm-hmm. so when you go through the healing of it it's not exactly like going through it again but it's a very close second mm-hmm. so you've got to really have people that can be there with you and it, you know, just sit there with you in your pain if that's what it takes. Yeah. 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 I'm just, I'm seeing this image of one of my friends um, when she was going through a really hard time in her, she was uh, leaving her narcissistic husband and she put up this picture recently actually on Facebook of her and she was, she's on her, like she's facing her knees and she's crying, but there's someone sitting next to her with their arm around her. And I thought, what a beautiful, beautiful picture, because that's just, just knowing that someone is with you in that, in that place of, you know, hopelessness is so healing in itself. So, well, and that's why for ritual abuse survivors, this podcast is so important because we are the underserviced survivors that are out there. We are the people that are denied our truth, you know. People say, now, you know, that's been debunked and that's not real. I'm like, you can't tell me that because it happened to me. Right. 
it's like um, I had a, a psychiatrist that I visited once and I was explaining it to her and she leaned over her desk on her elbows, got close to me and she said, does the government know? And I just got up and walked out. But that's oh what gosh. we face. Like a sexual abuse survivor will not have that. Ritual yeah. abuse survivors, that's, you know, we face that in society every day. So the sooner yes. society can accept, yes, this is true, the better it is for survivors right. to get help. And, absolutely. And we need help. Yes, absolutely. You do. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I think just just like getting it out there so that people know that it that it does exist, um, maybe people can have a little bit more courage to to come forward to connect with other people. I mean, I just I just know too many people myself. I have met them personally. I have people reaching out to me. So I mean, it exists, and we want to um, acknowledge it. And and like you said. Um, look for ways that we can support and help um, help survivors, help children. You know, some ways that are easy, take, take them flowers. You know, you don't have to talk about it. Take them out for coffee. Let them know you care about them. I know you're going through a hard time right now. And you can say, I can't hear the details because they're terrifying. They really are. Mm -hmm. So it's okay to say, I can't handle the details, but mm -hmm. let me do something for you. Let me bring you a meal. Let me be your friend, even with this. And that means the world to survivors. Number one, accept, yes, I believe you. And number two, I still choose to be your friend and I will help you in any way I can. It doesn't have to be a huge deal to help. Anybody can do it. Yeah, I really, I really like that you said that because I think that people might think, oh, this is too big or this will be too much for me or this will be. And by you saying just those simple small gestures can mean so much. Um, yeah, I can feel that. And that feels really uh, comforting. Yeah. Wow. Well, thank you so much, Lisa. Um, you also wrote a book and I know that you're working on your second book. If people want to check out your, your book, what is it called? Only God Rescued Me, My Journey from Satanic Ritual Abuse. And it's on Amazon and Kindle. Okay. And I'll put that also in the um, show notes. And do you have like, how can people reach out to you if they want to? I'm on Facebook. If you go and find Only God Rescued Me, it's there. And hopefully okay. shortly I'll be coming out with a website called Only God Rescued Me and hopefully we'll be able to connect there. But I oh, lovely. Would especially love to talk to your listeners, anybody that would like to connect, especially survivors you know, I'm here, you need somebody to listen to, and I'd be glad to do it. Oh, that's so nice. So thank you so much for being vulnerable and sharing your, you know, yourself with us. And, um, you know, I wish you uh, continued healing. Thank you so much, Monique. If you'd like to find out more about trauma recovery coaching with me, you can visit my website at www cptsdcoach.com. You can visit me on Instagram and Facebook at cptsdcoach. Mm -hmm.